Center for Parent Youth Understanding and the CPYU Podcast Network, you're listening to The Word in Youth Ministry, a podcast by youth workers for youth workers, where we give insights, strategies, and helps for effectively teaching God's Word to our students. Here we are on episode 48 of The Word in Youth Ministry. My name is Kyle. I serve as the pastor of student ministry at Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. And I am not here, as usual, with Matt and Linda. Every single episode, I start out by saying, and I'm here, as usual, with Matt, who's in Texas, and Linda, who is in Orlando, Florida. But today, I am solo, uh, and I am. but I'm excited about the guests that we have. Um, if you've been following along here on the Word and Youth Ministry, which again, we're thankful for the Center for Parent Youth Understanding hosting this podcast. The last episode, 47, we had Dr. Peter Williams, and we talked about can we trust the Gospels? And we talked about the importance of teaching our students not only what's in the Bible, but that we can trust the Word of God and we don't need to be ashamed. Today, we're going to talk um, with our guest, uh, Matt Smethurst. Um, about a book that he wrote before you open your Bible. Um, part of the reason I'm excited to have him on here is this is a book I read several years ago. And um, as we think about it being a, a word-centered student ministry, this is a book I plan on teaching uh, in several weeks to our students. Um, and the idea here, or the, um, the second part of the title, is Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word. And as we think about the title of this podcast, The Word in Youth Ministry, we want to be thinking about ways and resources that we can use with our students. So Matt, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today. Yeah, Kyle, so good to be with you. Yeah, so before we jump in, Matt, um, I was just curious, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your family, the church that you've recently planted, and um, anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners? Sure. I grew up uh, here in Virginia, in Charlottesville, and was raised in a Christian home, uh, went to James Madison University, and the Lord really used the ministry of Campus Crusade crew uh, to disciple me and teach me how to share my faith, and ended up spending a couple years in China doing campus ministry with crew, um, came back to the States kind of in uh, pursuit of theological education and pastoral training. I did an internship at a church in Washington, D.C., and then went to Southern Seminary in Louisville, and we planned to be there for three years, and we stayed for 12, not at the seminary, but in Louisville. So uh, we were very involved in our church. I got to serve as a lay elder there for six years, and in many ways, we kind of, I think my wife and I grew up as adult Christians there. We have three kids, fifth grade, third grade, kindergarten, all of whom were born in Louisville. So we're very grateful for our years there. But uh, it was in consultation, conversation with my fellow elders there at our church in in Louisville that, that we kind of sensed that the Lord was leading us to come here to Richmond, Virginia and pastor. And it, it just through a series of conversations, conversations with some friends on the ground here in Richmond. It became clear that church planting was probably the way to go. And so we moved here summer of 2021. Uh, 11 other adults from our church in Kentucky moved with us. And we did a core team phase that fall and winter. And, and we covenanted together officially as a church uh, for the first time a year ago. So we just, uh, this is 
at least this interview is in February, 2023. So we just marked one year as a church. Things are going well. We are seeing people come to know Christ and I'm loving getting to preach God's word every week. Uh, the Lord has been super generous to us. Wow. How exciting. And just thinking about the church that you've planted and now growing and the work that you get to do there. Um, and also just as, like as, as a pastor, uh, I just want to say thank you for your work you've done with the Gospel Coalition over the years. I've benefited greatly from that. And I, before we jump in here to the book, uh, like I said, Matt and Linda are not here uh, to join me today, but we uh, usually have an introduction. And one of the things that we talk about often is sports. And you wrote an article now about a decade ago um, about Michael Jordan on the Gospel Coalition. It's called, uh, Do You Still Want to Be Like Mike?, and so I know as a youth pastor here, about an hour south of Cleveland, uh, when I tell my students that I don't think LeBron James is the GOAT, um, I usually get some pushback. So I was just wondering, part A, do you think that Michael Jordan is the GOAT? And then B, um, can you tell us a little bit about this article, which has been, I think, very popular through the years? Yeah, I mean, com comparing Jordan to LeBron, I, I kind of feel like is similar to comparing um Jesus to Melchizedek. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, no, and and on a, I feel like that there is a legitimate goat debate for people who have only seen LeBron yes, play. I agree. Uh, but people who are old enough to have seen both play, I, I don't think there's a very meaningful debate. Now, I will give LeBron a lot of credit. I do think he's he's probably the second greatest of all time. He definitely has Jordan beat in various metrics having to do with longevity. I salute him for being the all-time scoring leader, but he's four for 10 when it counts in the finals. Give me six out of six over four for 10 any day. In fact, here's what's interesting. Jordan went to the finals six times. LeBron has been to the finals 10 times, and yet Jordan has more finals wins, like as in individual finals game wins in six appearances than LeBron has in 10 appearances and, and less final game losses. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that when you look at efficiency um, across all kinds of, of stat lines, I mean, from 1990 to 1998, Jordan's Bulls never lost three consecutive games. Like, I, I don't know how long you want to talk about this, but there's, I have more where that came from. I, I, I love, I love where this is going. And I think that your sentiment that those who have never, who didn't see Jordan play, I remember being a child in my, um, in my Chicago Bulls pajamas as a kid, just watching Jordan and that this is what my current youth group kids never got to see. But I guess we better move on. Um, I guess we better talk about your book before you open your Bible. Um, and Matt, I just like want to start out. Uh, I want to commend this book before you open your Bible, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word. But I just want to start out generally, why, when we think specifically of teaching the next generation, but also all Christians, why did you write a book about before they open their Bible, when so many Christian books are written about either the Bible itself or what's in the Bible? What was your motivation for writing about approaching God's Word? Because I think it's an underdeveloped angle. So there's a lot of great stuff already out there on how to read and study the Bible. But 
I don't know of many great resources on what do you do kind of beforehand to position yourself for success in that endeavor. And we understand this idea from other realms of life, right? I mean, you, you stretch and you, you warm up before the game begins. Uh, and, and I think that in, in the same way with the Christian life, mm. the way we approach scripture uh, with our minds and hearts is going to make all the difference in what we kind of get out of it. I'll also say, Kyle, that this uh, it's fitting that I'm discussing the book on a podcast for people in youth ministry, because it actually began the material uh, began with uh, this very audience. Um, it, it, you know, I was wanting to gear it toward teenagers, essentially, and young college students. So that's why the book is so short. Uh, I, I think actually the biggest selling point is is not that it's the greatest book you'll ever read. It's that it's very short. So even if you don't like it, you won't have wasted much time. Mm-hmm. But I think especially with Gen Z, uh, they're not famous for their... Um, love of reading, mm-hmm. you know, books. It's a, it's a brief, non-intimidating, accessible, I would say on-ramp yeah. into uh, hopefully the beauty and wonder of God's word. Yeah. And what you're saying is true. I mean, as a youth worker, one thing I've found is reading shorter books with students is helpful. One of our ministry partners, Reformed Youth Ministry, they put out something called the Track Series that um, they're shorter books, and it's helpful to read shorter books with students because they feel like they're making progress, and because oftentimes with the amount of activities and schoolwork the students already have, the the um, the margin for reading isn't as big as maybe in the past. Um, so this is this is helpful. I, I love that analogy of stretching before before running or before a game and thinking through what what these heart postures are. Um, I'm going to read uh, from the table of contents, the nine chapters, the nine different heart postures. And I'm wondering if maybe there's one or two that you think specifically could be helpful for youth workers to think through with their students. I know obviously all of them, you put them all here for a reason, um, but I'm just going to read down through. And then if there's one or two that you you would like to dive a little deeper into. Um, so the nine heart postures, approaching God's word prayerfully, humbly, desperately, studiously, obediently, joyfully, expectantly, communally, and Christocentrically. Um, Which one of those um, would you think uh, you'd really want to point youth workers to? Well, I'll I'll narrow it down to three and keep it brief. I'll just say, I think studiously, communally, and Christocentrically. And the reason I, I, um, and it kind of depends on the church and the youth group in, in terms of what they do well emphasizing. Um, so for example, if you're in a very gospel minded gospel centered church where you're hearing about how Jesus should, you know, if Jesus is the hero of every sermon and you understand that, well then maybe approaching your Bible Christocentrically isn't, uh, going to be the most important thing for your students, but in so many youth environments, I think despite good intentions, uh, there can be kind of a moralistic message that is implicitly communicated. And therefore, it might be a helpful corrective to help teenagers understand that, yes, in this big old ancient book, we have many individual Bible stories. But first and foremost, we have one big story 
Um, it's not just stories in the Bible, but we got to make sure we understand the story of the Bible, which culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the other two I mentioned studiously and communally. Well, I say studiously because I think especially with a kind of teenage audience, they're not going to naturally think of themselves as theologians. You know, mm -hmm. even if they know what that word is, they're going to assume, well, theology is for people who go to seminary or, mm -hmm. or who are paid to preach sermons. But what I'm trying to argue in that chapter is that every Christian is a theologian. The, the, the moment you formulate any thought about God, you are doing theology. The question is, are, is it good theology? And uh, the, the call in that chapter is not to become academic or kind of nerdy. The call is to become, uh, to, to dive ever more deeply into the riches and wonders of God's word. You know, it's been said that when you rake, you're going to get only leaves. But when you dig, that's when you're going to find diamonds. And mm -hmm. I want to hold out a vision for young people that, hey, to the degree you, you, you give your mind to the Bible, um, obviously with your heart engaged, but, you know, Psalm 111 too, the psalmist says, greater the works of the Lord blank by all who, um, by all who tr trust in him. And when, when I was a young person, I would have thought, well, what's in that blank greater, the works of the Lord celebrated by all those who trust mm. in him. No, that's not what he says. Greater the works of the Lord, um, uh, treasured by all who trust in him. No, that's not what he says. He says, greater the works of the Lord studied, mm. studied by all who trust in him. And I think that to the degree you approach your Bible um, studiously, that is under, under wanting to know the context, wanting to know the author's intent, wanting to, to uh, think carefully about implications and applications that you're going to be positioned um, to uh, to, to realize that you're actually dealing with a bottomless book. And, um, we, we don't just want to put on water skis. We, we should put on scuba gear and really yeah. dive in. Um, so that's studiously. And then, uh, and I'll just, I'll just tease the listeners with, I do have a Michael Jordan analogy in that studiously chapter, but I won't tell it to you now. Cause I've already talked enough about MJ. Mm -hmm. Um, but and then and then uh, the other one would be approach your Bible communally. I just think that evangelicals generally have a very thin and anemic view of the local church and the centrality of the local church in the Christian life. And I think mm -hmm. a danger, especially with youth ministry, is that it can become a silo. It can mm -hmm. become a kind of church within a church. And uh, what that and there's a lot of benefits to being around peers but the problem is one day you're going to graduate right yeah. it, it, you can't hang around the youth ministry forever at some point that becomes creepy and they'll kick you out and so you should use your teenage years and youth ministers you should maximize the time with these students to prepare them for long-term success in the christian life and what that means is teaching them to start now organizing their life around the local church. And so that's what I'm trying to get across in that communally chapter. Yeah, that's helpful, Matt. And before we take a break here, one last question um, uh, on this first segment of the interview. I'm just curious, as we think of these three, um, I think 
the communally one is one that's often overlooked because uh, here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, we have different cohorts that we offer, and we currently have one for people who are new youth workers between zero and three years in youth ministry. And one thing that we were talking yesterday is that when we think about youth ministry and we think about the leaders who are in youth ministry, that we almost need to be colorblind to age, meaning oftentimes in the youth ministry world, we think those who should serve students need to be the young, hip, they know how to talk like the students today. But one of the gifts that God has given to the church is multiple generations. You know, I like to use the term intergenerational rather than multi-generational to show that we all need to be pouring um, into the next generation. But before we take a break here, I'm just curious, as we think of your experience, and I know when you were at uh, the Gospel Coalition um, full-time and just thinking of all the churches that you've worked with, have you seen it done well or, or experiences around this book of having older people pour into younger people in the church setting? Um, or even as we think of your own church, I know uh, before we were recording today, you said that there are a couple colleges nearby your church. Um, have you seen um, or want to encourage um, our listeners in a way of just not siloing, like you said earlier, but just really pouring into the next generation as a whole rather than just segmented? Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not just a problem with youth ministry. I think you can see this with all kinds of ministries, which can take on a life of their own in an unhelpful way. Now, I'm all for ministries to particular demographics, but at least in our church here in, in Richmond, we have intentionally not segmented the church um, a, a, along demographic lines. For example, our home groups are really just a collection of random members, a kind of cross-section of folks, because we we understand, we, we believe that uh, the body is going to function best and every individual part is going to thrive the most to the degree that they are uh, investing in and receiving input from people not like them. Uh, people from different stages of life who, by definition, will have some different blind spots than they do. And so there's something really beautiful, I think, about the uh, about a person being kind of discipled by the whole church. Yeah. I know I know that sounds weird, but rather than emphasizing the small groupings, I think we should emphasize most the whole gathering, um, the ministry of attendance. Right, Th that is a ministry is just showing up when the church gathers, and the cumulative positive impact on someone over time when they just show up faithfully and eagerly to participate in the life of the whole church, I think that's going to have kind of cascading positive effects for every individual. And the other, the other piece I'll say, Kyle, is yes, we, we want a culture of discipling, not just a program for discipleship, but a, an organic culture of discipling in which every church member understands it to be their responsibility to take care of one another. Yeah. And to do spiritual good to others and to and to take spiritual initiative in the lives of others. So it should be a normal thing, not an abnormal thing in our churches for members to be meeting up with one another throughout the week to read through the Bible, to read solid Christian books, to pray, to share their faith, to do one another spiritual good without the pastors even being aware of it. Yeah, I think that's a picture of 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 church health and, and God's vision. I'm so glad you shared that because I, I think of the youth ministry world. I think about an episode that came out a couple weeks ago. If you're listening to this, um, our interview with Phil Lineweber, who that came out 
um, where he said that in his youth ministry, they actually changed how they do Sunday school because they were having students come to Sunday school, but then not going to the main gathering, the corporate worship gathering. And I just want our listeners to hear what Matt said earlier. Um, we all know this, but right, students will graduate from youth group, but they will never graduate from the local church. So if our students, as we think about even these nine heart postures of God's word, reading the Bible communally with other students their age and with adults is so important because students will, Lord willing, stay in the church their whole lives and and then hopefully even go back and pour into younger people, right? Titus two type ministry, older women teaching the younger women. Um, and so I just, I think that's a good encouragement for our listeners. So we're going to take a break here um, on this episode of the Word and Youth Ministry. This is episode 48 with Matt Smethurst uh, talking about his book, Before You Open Your Bible. And when we come back, I have a couple practical questions for him about how he would recommend using this book or other books uh, with students in your ministry. So we'll be right back after this break. I often hear grandparents say how glad they are that they don't have to raise kids in today's world. While these comments might not be very encouraging to those of us who are parents or who are doing youth ministry with kids today, they do recognize the fact that there are lots of confusing and dangerous cultural realities that kids need to navigate if they are going to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. In an effort to provide parents and youth workers with an easy-to-use tool designed to help kids find their way through the choices they face in today's world, I've written a new little book that can be used individually or in small groups, A Student's Guide to Navigating Culture. It's the shortest book I've ever written, but it's the one I believe will have the greatest impact in terms of discipling the emerging generations. If you want to teach your kids how to live in today's culture while following God's will and way, check out this new little book, A Student's Guide to Navigating Culture. You can learn more and order copies at cpyu.org. And we're back here on episode 48 of the Word and Youth Ministry with Matt Smethurst, thinking about his book that he wrote called Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word. Um, I want to, uh, before I ask him a practical question about how to use this in a youth ministry setting, uh, we all realize, those who are listening, uh, Matt and Linda, who aren't with me today, but you know, we all realize that when we're teaching students about spiritual disciplines, about gathering with God's people, about reading the word, about praying, about, you know, we, the list could go on and on. We could, you know, maybe in the show note, put Don, Don Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines, had him in seminary. When we think about that, we realize that students don't always want to read God's word. And right, we realize for even adults, right, this isn't always, um, humanly speaking, what people want to do. And one of your chapters here is about approaching your Bible joyfully. And Matt, uh, I want to read um, part of a paragraph. You say here, um, one last thing, though, lest you get the impression that Bible reading is uninterrupted joy fest for me. It's not. Cracking open God's word often feels like a duty, not a delight. It requires discipline. It will for you too. But as with so much in life, eating, eating healthy, working out, and other wise things I struggle to do, it is the nature of discipline to give way to delight. Not every time and not all at once, but steadily and increasingly until the day we see our king face to face and behold him in his beauty with a joy that never ends. 
I was just wondering, Matt, can you just like um, encourage our youth workers as we realize it can be discouraging to teach the Bible to students and then encourage them to read the Bible, encourage them to memorize the Bible and then feel like we're just coming up empty. Can you just um, encourage our youth workers in this way? Yes. So I would say uh, you first need to make sure that that you are not trying to give away something you don't already have. You're, you're not... Um, uh, talking about intimacy with Jesus and affections stirred up for his gospel and his glory. If you yourself are not warming your heart around the fire of God's word. Um, and there's a sense in which I want to say to the youth worker, take, take care of yourself spiritually and trust that the rest will take care of itself. Because if you are, uh, in God's word, walking closely with him, uh, organizing your life around the things of God, then you are going to be excited about the things of God. You're going to be wanting to get not not just the gospel right, but to get the gospel out. You're going to want to be doing spiritual good to the teenagers that have been entrusted to you. Um, and, and I think the other note I want to sound is, you know what, at the end of the day, these teenagers will stand before the Lord and give an account for themselves. And you can only do so much. <laughs> I, I, I would just want to free you from the burden of um, trying to uh, manufacture yeah. or, mic- or microwave uh, spiritual interest and spiritual growth. The reality is the, the word of God is going to fall on various kinds of soil. And most of the people in a fallen world who hear the word are not going to receive it. And and there are even going to be many in whom it seems to have taken root. Um, but it was never, um, you know, the, the, the lack of genuineness is proved by the lack of endurance. And so, yes, work hard, be diligent, pour your life out, uh, for these students. But at the end of the day, uh, you can only do so much and you can't make them feel the glory and the yeah. gravity of the things of God. Mm. And I, I just think the, the, when we teach the Bible, it takes the weight off of our shoulders, right? We can trust that God, God will do with his word, what he wants to do. And that's why I'm thankful you wrote this book because Uh, Not only do we want to prepare our students to have the right heart postures for reading God's word, but as you just said, as youth workers, we need to make sure that we have the right heart postures ourselves. Um, And so I want to just think practically real quick, um, Matt, for our youth workers who are listening, again, some of them are in full-time ministry, some of them are volunteer youth workers, others may be parents or grandparents who are listening, uh, or maybe even people who are aspiring to be in youth ministry. Um, How would you encourage them to use this book? Like you said, um, it's a short book. I, I have my copy right here. It looks like it's about 89 pages. Um, I'm planning on teaching it in a Sunday school setting. I think I'm going to take three weeks uh, to teach three of these heart postures at a time. But based on uh, when you wrote this book, and even as you said, keeping the next generation in mind, would you have any suggestions or even just things for people to consider um, before they use this book? I would encourage them to go ASAP as slow as possible. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, what I've heard, uh, from, from readers is that it's been most fruitful when they've 
just read one chapter a day. Uh, maybe even you could linger on one chapter for a week, but I would, I would definitely say just kind of one chapter at a time. And, uh, now if you're teaching it and you don't have nine weeks to teach, that's totally fine. I think you can kind of combine them, but I think there's enough material there. Um, or, or I should say it's very pregnant material. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So even though the chapters are super brief, there's more than enough fodder there for um, reflection, discussion. Uh, so I, I would just say don't don't rush through it. Yeah, that's helpful. And so for our listeners, you can find this in the show notes, but obviously you can find it uh, at 10ofthose.com um, or wherever you purchase books. Um, one of our previous guests, uh, Mitchell Chase, who we talked about um, several different books that he wrote, um, but also published by 10 of those. Um, so you can find that in the show notes Um, One last question for you, Matt, Um, which when we think about youth ministry, I mean, this podcast is all, uh, you know, we we titled it here at CPYU, the word in youth ministry for a reason. We want students to use or uh, leaders to use the word as they're leading the youth ministry. However, you also wrote a second book, um, similar size, also by 10 of those um, called Before You Share Your Faith. And I just think that um, when we think of youth ministry, one of the things we want to be doing with students is not only training them how to share their faith, but also um, also giving them opportunities to share their faith. I was just curious as a last question, um, it, what is the connection between these two books? Obviously, you spent a lot of time thinking about before you open your Bible. And I'm just curious, is there a connection between this and then sharing your faith? Or how would you just encourage youth workers to think about these two topics together? Yeah, I think before you open your Bible is, in a sense, logically prior uh, to before you share your faith, because you're probably not going to have a student who is ready or motivated to go out and talk about Jesus with unbelieving friends if they're not first in God's word themselves. Um, But I also aimed before you share your faith at this same audience. So I would encourage youth workers to um, at least read that book themselves and, and see if you think that the uh, material would be helpful for the, your whole youth group. But it's the same it's the same concept. I think there are a lot of great books already on evangelism, and I'm not trying to be redundant. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 I wasn't just trying to write another good evangelism book. I was trying to write a book that I'm not aware exists, and that is, hey, what what should we be mindful of before the moment arrives when we Mm. have the chance to talk about Jesus? Because so often I think we get caught flat-footed. We're on our heels rather than living on our toes, looking for, praying for, seizing, even creating gospel opportunities. So before you share your faith, the subtitle is Five Foundations for Evangelism. Grasp the gospel, check your context, love the lost, face your fear and start to speak. Um, and I, yeah, wrote, wrote it just as much for myself <laughs> as right. for any, any readers out there, but it, it, it's a good, I would say sequel in yeah. a sense to before you, uh, open your Bible. Oh, that's helpful. And I, I just think for our youth workers, a reminder, um, especially if you've never read a book with a student, um, that like books these sizes are important. Um, also, I just want to you know thank ten of those dot, dot com. I 
I'm reminded they have they have a policy on their website. You know, I buy many of my books from different websites, but ten of those has a policy. It's always one dollar shipping, so you can mm -hmm. buy these books uh, that Matt has written. I um, mean, you can buy many of them because they're small, and you can get them uh, shipped to you fast for one dollar. And they have other books on that website. I think one of the benefits of a website like tenofthose.com is you can trust the books that they're selling that they believe in, and they believe they're Bible-centered books. Um, so I would just commend that to our listeners. Um, well, so Matt, thanks so much for taking some time. And let me, let yeah, me just uh, say one thing on that. And you know that you're funding gospel ministry, yeah. which you're obviously not doing with Amazon. And I, I think that uh, one thing that keeps Christians from purchasing books from non-Amazon providers, such as 10, 10 of those, is they don't already have an account set up. You feel like it's going to be a more cumbersome process to check out. Um, uh, and and you, you assume there's a lot of shipping fees. So I'm happy you mentioned 10 of those has a flat $1 shipping fee. They are, they are godly folks. They're responsive. I would encourage listeners, if you're going to buy Christian books, check out 10 of those sites first to see if they have it and try to support the really good gospel ministry that they're doing. Yeah, we're so thankful for Jonathan and um, and what he's doing there. And then also just the fact that uh, we can have someone like you on here to talk about books, um, because we always want to be platforming books um, that are going to be used in discipleship and be used to point people uh, to the most important book, which is obviously God's Word. Uh, so this has been episode 48 of the Word and Youth Ministry, Before You Open Your Bible, uh, with Matt Smethurst. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. And to our listeners, uh, we look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to the Word and Youth Ministry. To learn more about CPYU and the resources mentioned on today's podcast, visit us online at cpyu.org.